You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Church, how we doing? Good? All right. I hope that you are expecting God to show up today in, a, in an incredible way. We've already seen him work uh, here this morning, and uh, I'm so grateful for our worship team. Man, they do just such an incredible job. And and uh, to get us ready to dive into God's word. And, and uh, if we have not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Pastor Brett. That is not my name. My name is Brett. <laughs> Some, a lot of people call me Pastor Brett, but you don't have to. You can just call me Brett. But I'm, I'm one of the pastors on our team. And, and uh, I, I get the chance to open up God's word with you a few times a year. And I'm excited today as we give Pastor Matt a, a week off today. And we dive into this Got to have faith series. We're in week seven, so, you know, and this series is a beautiful thing where if, if you've been with us the last six weeks, you know, you're going to learn a little bit more, but if you're just here today and this is your first time, I believe that God has something for you too. And so over these last seven weeks, we see these heroes of our faith. Their faith is on full display. Many have faced unbelievable obstacles in their life, and we get just a snippet of their story. These people are simple broken, uh, a lot of times sinful people like you and me, but God has called them to fulfill his purpose in their life. And part of the beauty of these stories is that as we walk through these stories, we start to see ourselves in these stories. And I want you to do that. I want you to understand what it's like to walk in their shoes. And so do you struggle with doubt in your life? Well, so did Sarah. We touched on that, that last week. Maybe you find it hard to do the right thing or even the unpopular thing at times. Well, welcome to Noah's story, right? And if you hesitate to trust those around you or maybe you, you and God are in a battle right now with if you can trust him or not, well, that's the story we come to today in Abram. And as we've talked about each week, we're using Hebrews 11 as this outline. So we go to Hebrews 11 and it provides an outline for what's happening through Genesis, right? And as we walk through Hebrews 11, it gives us this glimpse into these, these stories. And so through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see how God creates the world and he puts it into motion. He makes man in his own image to rule the world under God's authority. But what happens? It quickly unravels, right? Begins to spin out of control. Humans misuse their authority and their power. And before we know it, we're faced with a world full of sin and violence and death this leads to the scattering of God's people in Genesis 11, and then we're introduced to a man named Abram. And Matt's been telling parts of this story the last couple weeks, and uh, we're, we're introduced to this man named Abram, who later becomes Abraham. I'm gonna refer to him by both. Hopefully I get it right. Give me grace if I, if I mess up here or there. But we learn quickly that through Abram, God is launching his great plan to rescue and bless the world through the descendants of Abram. And that all sets the foundation for where we're gonna be today, okay? And so I wanna stop and I wanna pause and I wanna pray and I'm gonna invite God in to, to make this clear to you, what he has to say to you and all of us here today. And so let's pray. God, you are good and you are a father that knows each and every story that is here today. As we prayed before the service early this morning, God, that you would get those out of bed who are struggling with you to come to church and to hear what you have to say. And God, if that is the person sitting 
in the audience today or watching online, God, I pray that it is clear to them that they, God, walk away with a nugget of truth from your word today about what you're trying to say through the story of Abraham. God, we love you. We trust you. We praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. Genesis 15. We're going to be flying through some scripture today, and we're going to be looking at three covenants that God makes with Abram, or later Abraham, okay? And the first one happens in Genesis 15. So here's what happens, okay? And not quite yet what's on the screen, but in in verses one through three, before we get there, okay, the Lord comes to Abram in a vision, and he says, don't be afraid, I'm your shield, I'm your great reward. Matt talked about this last week. We don't know exactly what this looks like when Abram has this conversation with God. We don't know whether it's audible or he's hearing it in his heart, but we know it's clear that Abram is hearing from God. And we quickly see Abram's true colors come out in this moment, right? Because God comes and says that, hey, I'm your shield, I'm your great reward. And then Abram quickly reminds God, God, you know that I'm childless. You know that I've been childless my whole life. And then he lets God in on, on his greatest fear that his estate, all that he's worked for, will go to his servant. Because if you go back and read between chapters 11 and chapter 15, you see through the whole story of Abram, we see over and over again the flesh and humanity of Abram come out. We see Abram receive a promise from God or get clear direction from God, and then we see Abram quickly try to control the situation. Abram hears God, but his fear and anxiety and his his need to control owns the day. So beginning in chapter 15, Starting in verse four, we, we read this, and, and I love, just pay attention to how patient God is with Abram. It says this, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So this is God. God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I love God in this moment. He's so wise. He recognizes in Abram, he's not getting it. And so God in this moment is like, Abram, I see you. Can you just, let's, let's go outside. You're not getting it. You're not hearing me. You're not understanding. How can I help you understand? You know what? Look up at those stars and count them. I mean, if you can. I created them. I put them up there, I numbered them, but count them if you can. I'll wait. That's what, I, that's what I picture God saying. I don't know if that's actually what happened. But then in that moment, Abram starts to believe. And we know that Abram had just brought up the fact that he was childless, right? He just brought up his greatest fear. And Abram is not a young pup at this point, as we've talked about in the last few weeks. He's carried this burden for years, for generations, for decades. It's top of mind for him. I would imagine it consumes his every day. For Abram and Sarai, it had been this struggle. And I'm sure Abram has, had walked outside at some point along his days and years in this struggle, and he looked up at those same stars, and he had prayed to God asking for a child. And now in this moment, God is flipping the script. He's changing the soundtrack in Abram's mind, and it's, God says this, you see all those stars up there? Yeah, your offspring for generations to come will outnumber those stars. So the Lord begins to remind Abram of some history and how he has taken care of Abram before and even tells Abram that he's gonna give him some land. But Abram needs a bit more from God. He's still struggling in doubt and trust. And so we don't know 
if this is what, where this is coming from, but, but Abram's kind of like, God, I still got some questions. Are you ever like that with God? Then God tells him this really weird thing to you and I probably. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. I mean, what? Excuse me? I mean, if, if God told me that, that would take me like months to make happen, right? And we're, we're told it happens, and I'm the son of a, of a daughter of a farmer. So I got some more access to animals more probably than you do, but I w- it would still, I would struggle. Like, I need a three-year-old cow, goat, ram, and a couple random birds. Okay, got it. All right, so all we know is that Abram goes and gets them, okay? And God says, cut the three animals in half. Don't cut the birds in half. Create an aisle with the animals. So Abram cuts the three animals in half. And why doesn't God explain himself in this moment? That's a question I have. Abram doesn't even ask questions. He's like, okay, all right. I'm a, so Abram goes and he cuts them in half. Now what's happening here? Well, what's happening is they're entering into a contract, all right? Covenant, promise, contract, they're entering into that. But back in that day, like you and I, if we entered into a contract, we would write down the expectations. Here's what you're expected to do. Here's what the other party's expected to do. If you fail to meet your expectations, this is what happens. If you fail to meet your expectations, this is what happens to you. But what's happening? Well, they're about to enter into a contract, but they don't have paper. We would just take a paper and we would both sign it and we're into a contract. But back then, they didn't have paper, so they actually acted out the covenant. It's actually called the curse of the covenant, right? And so back then, you actually act out the consequence. So you walk between the halves of the animals. I can picture this happening, and you look on one side, and you look on the other side, and you know what's true of an animal that's cut in half? It's no longer breathing, right? It's dead. It's hanging there, or it's laying there, and so it's very clear to both sides that walk between the pieces what would happen if you failed on your part of the deal. So then this happens. The story gets weirder. Genesis 15, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Okay, so Abram falls asleep, but this is not like a normal sleep. What we know from the context in the original Hebrew is that this means it was like a dreadful terror. Basically, Abram was scared to death. And he's not, he's not actually fully asleep. He's, he's got this darkness over him, but he's fully aware of what's happening around him. And then we get to verse 17. It says this. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. So you got the pieces laying in an aisle, and then you see the smoking fire pot and blazing torch. And I'm sure you all actually fully know what's going on here. Right? If you're like me, like, what is happening? God, what are you doing? And so the best translation we have for the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch is like a billow of smoke and blazing lightning. This is representing, this is tangibly the presence of God passing through the pieces. We see this in a couple other times in scripture. One of those is another time in the Old Testament with Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, so we have some things to, to compare this to. Blazing lightning is like if you saw a strike of lightning and it stood still. Okay, if you can imagine that for a second. You imagine the heat and the sparks and the electricity coming off of that. I couldn't help but think as I'm, I'm picturing this blazing lightning pass through pieces of meat, like this is legit the first barbecue. <laughs> right? 
That is not at all what's happening, okay? All right, I wish you all could be in my brain as I read the Bible. There's a little glimpse of it, okay? So what is actually happening is, is God is making a covenant, right? We see it in verse 18. It says this, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. So what does this all mean? You see, we have a scared, doubting Abram who is coming and saying, show me God, I can trust you. Well, the smoke and the torch pass through the pieces. God's presence comes through the pieces and a covenant is made. And while that is cool, that is not the best part of the story. Notice who walked through the pieces. God walks through the pieces, right? God is acting out a covenant with Abram. What will happen to God if he doesn't hold up his part of the deal? Look at both sides. God, you will be torn to shreds just like the animals hanging there. But notice who isn't there. Remember, he was scared to death in a dreadful terror sitting and watching. Abram. Abram doesn't walk through the pieces. And so God makes a covenant with Abram, but fully guarantees it only himself, requiring nothing of Abram. It's really important, and we'll come back to it. Let's jump forward to the second covenant we're going to talk about today, and that's in Genesis 17. Okay, so by the time we get to Genesis 17, God is making this second covenant, and he's saying to Abram, do what I ask, be obedient to me, and I will bless you. Abram falls face down in reverence to God, and then we pick it up in verse four, chapter 17. It says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make, you na make nations of you, and kings will come from you. So God comes, and he changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abram meaning father, Abraham meaning father of many. I will bless you, your family, your descendants. You'll be fruitful and prosper. You just have to obey me. You will multiply and fill the earth. What we see happen later in chapter 17 is God tells Abram that he and his household and his servants alike must be circumcised. We're gonna let Matt preach that sermon on a different day, okay? We're gonna give him even a whole series on that, okay? He gave me the microphone. I can say whatever I want, all right? And so, but we see... What we see here is a loving God coming to his child over and over again. And he's saying to Abram, Abram, I got big plans for you. I have a vision for you. I see things you don't see, but you must trust me. And you must obey me. Now fast forward to chapter 22. Where we're gonna spend a significant amount of time. By the time we get to Genesis 22, God had promised Abram and Sarai, now Abraham and Sarah, a son, and she laughs at God. Okay. Then in chapter 21, Sarah finally has that son. His name is Isaac, which means he laughs. And up until this point, it seemed like the test of Abram or Abraham was really his patience. Right? Do you trust me that I'm going to provide a son for you that I promised, that all of your descendants will come from this son? And remember, Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born. But that was only the beginning. The ultimate test comes in chapter 22, starting in verse 1. We read, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replies, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. I love that like, we don't get any explanation right there. It's just early the next morning, Abraham gets up, loads his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. 
When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he had set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Pay attention to these words. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Key word in verse five is we, that second we. Then we will come back to you. Why? Because he looks at his servants and he says, you got to stay over there. Then we, the only people that are left are Abraham and Isaac. That doesn't seem like the Abraham that we have seen up until this point. Over the last 10 or so chapters, right, Abraham is beginning to understand. His faith is beginning to grow. There's a change in him. His understanding of God has grown. We don't have any reason to believe that Abraham knew how it was all gonna work out. But his faith was on full display because he expects God to somehow show up, to provide, to stand in the gap and the son that was promised to him will somehow come back down that mountain. Have you ever had a moment in life like this one for Abraham? Have you ever had a moment where life just seems like it freezes and it stands still? Something that you feel like was given to you, maybe a blessing by God is somehow ripped away or it, or it feels like God is saying, do you trust me? Do you obey me? Are you willing to push all your chips to the center of the table and go all in with me because it's, that's what it's like right now in this moment for Abraham. God says to Abraham, do you trust me with the blessings I've given you, with the blessings I've promised you? Do you believe I am a good father? Do you trust that I will come through? Have you ever had a moment like this in your life? I have. Over the last two years, my beautiful bride, Shelby and I, we have found ourselves in the Riley emergency room twice both times involving our oldest son crew, both times as a result of freak accidents, but we find ourselves at this crossroads with God. The most recent of these times was this past March. Crew suffered a horrific leg injury, again, complete accident, but we were left wondering if he was ever gonna walk again. Was he gonna play sports again? Kid, I mean, from sunrise to sundown, he plays sports, it's his life. We were left with doubts and wonder. I had some really, really hard questions for God. Why my son? Why him and not me? And I wanna pause right now and just say, for those of you in the medical field, especially the doctors and nurses at Riley, that evening and every evening, we're so incredibly thankful for you and what you do and what you give your lives to. I was actually, between services, one of the nurses that night was in the nine o'clock service today. <laughs> when I said that. My son walks today on two legs because of the God-given talents of a few in that hospital. And I know, yeah, yeah. And I know the last few years have been incredibly difficult for those folks that work in the, in the healthcare fields and I see you and we appreciate you so very much. Thank you for what you do. And for those that have been in a room like that, and you've watched your family member, especially your son or daughter or, or close family, roll into the ER on a stretcher, you know what it feels like in that moment. You know the turmoil that's going through you, the questions, I had, I had so many questions. The compassion you feel, you wanna take away the pain, but you can't do anything about it. The anger, I was angry at God. I was angry at the situation. You feel helpless. 
and more questions come. And as I watched my boy in an operating room with these nurses and doctors all around him barking out commands to each other, my world was spinning out of control. And in that moment, as I look back now, I I had an Abraham and Isaac moment. I had come face to face with my worst fears. My faith was being tested on all fronts. My belief in a God that I know is good and that I preach about up here all the time. And when I'm up here hosting, I talk for way too long. They tell me all the time, it's probably why they let me preach sometimes so I can get it out of my system. But I, but I talk about how God is good. But every time over the last six months that something has been taken away from my son, it's like that hurt starts all over for him, for Shelby, for me. And in those moments, I was faced with questions like, do I believe at the top of the mountain the same thing I believe in the valley? Do I believe, do I trust a God in the trenches like I do on an easygoing Saturday? Do I truly believe the words that are written in the Bible that we talk about every Sunday because they're, they're either true in that moment or they're not true. They're either true when it all, life is good and also true when life is really, really, really hard. They're true when the future is clear, and they're true when you don't know what the next day holds. But those are the questions I was asking. Is he still good? Do I trust that he is in control? Now, six months later, our boy is walking again. He's working hard every day to get back on the athletic field. Each day, we are learning to trust him to the God that made him, to the God that made Shelby and I his parents, right? But because in this moment, Abraham trusted that God was in control. Abraham was all in, and God comes through only like he can. So in verse 68, a paraphrase of of really what's happening here. So Abraham comes up the mountain. Abraham's got the fire and the knife. And Isaac is in tow behind him going up the mountain with his dad. And he's actually got the wood for the sacrifice on his back. And Isaac asked the obvious question that everybody that reads the story is wondering, like, Dad, I see the fire, I see the knife, I got the wood. Where's, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abram, Abraham doesn't miss a beat. He's been down this road before himself, and he says, God will provide, my son. And we pick up the story in, in verse 9, chapter 22. It says this, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you imagine that moment for Abraham? Sometimes I think we, we, we envision people like Abraham as like this superhero. No, he is like you and me. He is a human with feelings and emotions. And can you imagine what's going through his mind? I'd be like, God, if you're gonna provide, to, right now it would be good. Right? So we see in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replies, like, about time, (laughs) right? And in verse 12, the angel of the Lord continues, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looks up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So we see in scripture, God provides the sacrifice and then God makes the third covenant, 
Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And I, and I said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars, those same stars that they looked at in Genesis 15. He says, I will make you as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Take in this moment if you're Abraham. A life filled with struggle and turmoil. You have cried out to God for year upon year. You've been patient at times. You've doubted at times. You've had questions. The test of a lifetime comes in this moment in Genesis 22 and Abraham is ready. Can you imagine how it feels to be God in that moment? To walk alongside your child that, you, you, that was made in your image. It's such a proud papa moment. All the growth and the learning that he had experienced over those 100 plus years leads to this moment. God had showed up time and time again, but Abraham had not, not ever got it. And in this moment, he gets it. The doubts are gone. And Abraham is all in. Finally, God has proven himself over and over again. God has made covenant after covenant, promise after promise, and Abraham has learned to trust, and God has come through every time. And Hebrews 11 gives us a glimpse into Abraham's growth and even his reasoning in this moment. Remember, Hebrews 11 is that outline. Let's look at scripture. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham understands. His faith is beautiful in this moment. Abraham reasons that God could even raise the dead. But for you and I, we get to look at the New Testament and we get to see Jesus crucified and then rose again. We get to hear stories like we talked about earlier this year about Lazarus. But Abraham doesn't know any of that. He has no reason to believe that raising the dead is possible. But he does because of his faith. How would you respond in this moment? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Does your faith look like that? Are you all in in that moment? Do you fully trust God, the God of the universe? Do you believe he loves you? Do you believe he sees you? Do you believe he actually knows you? But this is not the end of the story. See, as we read the Bible, it's this robust story from beginning to end with so much detail, so much history, prophecy, and sometimes we need to look ahead. We get that opportunity to look at the New Testament to illuminate what's happening in these Old Testament stories. I heard this quote from St. Augustine. He said, the Old Testament is like a fully furnished room that is very poorly lit. What does that mean? When we read and open up our Bible, when we read the Old Testament, when we read these, these stories of old about these heroes, there's so much meat there. Just like that story about the the animals in the aisle, like without understanding the, the sacrifice at that time and all of that, without learning what we learn from even Hebrews 11 about the story of Abraham and Isaac, 
It's part of the beauty of scripture. You can read and study your whole life and you will never fully understand all that's written in the Bible. But one question as we read this text that flows to the top, at least it did for me, is, and, and as you read online, like you can see people ask questions when, you, when I'm studying for this, and it's, it's the question that everybody, especially nowadays, comes back to, why would a loving God require the sacrifice of a father? Kind of seems unfair, right? I'm gonna promise you a son for 100 years, I'm gonna give you that son, and then all of a sudden I'm gonna ask you to go kill him as a sacrifice. And why so much death and violence? But we have to look at the New Testament to see what's really going on. Because until we look at the New Testament to illuminate what's happening here, we make some connection, we're really not sure how to handle this text. If you see the story of Abraham, the testing, the patience, it's pointing to something bigger, to a bigger promise that was to come in the future. First, you have to understand that God was trying to deal with a situation that he didn't create, right? The world had spun out of control. We did that. Adam and Eve man, woman, we brought sin into the world. That's not how God had planned it. it. Set the world on a downward spiral. And so God had to figure out how to fix it. How to, he had to craft a plan of how to rescue it. And that plan had a name, and his name was Jesus. So let's look at the parallels of this story. This is mind-blowing to me. If you don't stop, I, I couldn't go through this message and stop and not do this, and so I think, yeah, we have them up here. First, both Isaac and Jesus are long-awaited beloved sons who are born into miraculous circumstances. Think about that, Isaac born to parents 100 years old that had prayed for him for a long, long time. Jesus born to a virgin, doesn't make any sense. Either one of them in our minds are like, that's impossible. The second one, both sons carry the wood that is to be the instrument of death on their backs. It's one we don't think about often, remember I read, Isaac had the wood for his sacrifice on his back. Jesus had the cross on his back as he marched to Golgotha where he was gonna be crucified. Number three, in both stories, the father leads the son up a mountain and the son follows obediently toward his own death. Isaac follows his, his father. Jesus, on his way to be crucified, cries out to his father and says, God, is there any other way? Isaac asks the question, God, or Jesus asked the question of his father, but either way, it was, the, it was the way it had to be. And lastly, in both stories, God provides the sacrificial substitute. For Isaac, it's a ram in the thicket, and for you and I, it was Jesus on a cross. Was, he, didn't, he, he got what he did not deserve. You and I, we deserve death for the sin in our lives, but he took it upon himself. He had no sin. He took it upon himself. And you see that just in scripture, and I love in the Bible when the faith of those that have gone before us, like Abraham and Isaac, point right back, straight back to Jesus. And the sacrifice of Jesus, just like in the, sac the sacrifice in Genesis 22, requires nothing from us except an all-in faith and trust in the one who saves and that is not ourselves, that is Jesus Christ. God took care, yeah, you can give God the glory. God took care of the rest. Sometimes we throw around the word faith in church. We even say things like all in faith. What do we mean by that? Obviously, this series is called Gotta Have Faith. Sometimes faith seems like a church-owned word, right? I know it's used outside the church, but 
We say that like, oh, you got anxiety? Well, you just need to trust God more, have more faith, grow your faith. Like, but we say it so flippantly. But I think sometimes we need a tangible definition of what faith actually means. And I, I, I stumbled across this in a book called The Gospel-Centered Parent. We're walking through this, this, uh, this book as parent, our kids and students teams are walking through this with families. And it's in the first chapter of the book and it says, what is faith? Simply put, faith is trusting in the work of another. Trusting in the work of another. So when Abraham finally got it, when it finally clicked for him, he was able to go all in and fully and completely trust the most important thing in his life in the hands of another. Abraham didn't trust in the hands of another in Genesis 15, but he did by the end of the story in Genesis 22. He doubted at first. He was scared all the time. He questioned God over and over throughout this story, but in the end, he trusted in the work of another. Do you trust in the work of another? Do you trust your family in the work of another? Do you trust the small things that some, you're convinced yourself that God doesn't even, you don't even think God cares about? Do you trust that in his hands? Do you trust, this one's really hard for me, your son or daughter in the hands of another? Do you trust your finances, your money in the hands of another? Do you trust your sickness or your disease? Maybe you're in this room right now walking through that. It doesn't even feel fair for me to say that because I can't imagine what you're walking through. But, but God wants you to trust that sickness or disease in the hands of the one who made you. Do you trust your church in the hands of another? because it's in his hands anyway. Do you trust your prodigal son or daughter in the hands of another? I would imagine that one might sting a little bit. Do you trust your job in the hands of another? Do you trust your life in the hands of another? That's what faith is. When you give your life to Jesus, when you go down in those waters and you come back up, you were saying, all that I had or was before is buried and I trust you. I trust in the hands that are not my hands because I can't save myself. I need a savior. You aren't saying that you have, don't have questions or doubts. I want you to know that questions and doubts are welcome here. If you don't welcome questions or doubts, all you do is create skeptics. Timothy Keller said it really well, God will never leave you in your doubt. Look at Abraham's story. God walked with him for a century and he was patient and he never stopped pursuing him. Take your doubts and questions to him. So what does all this mean? What is this story pointing to today? Well, I think everyone in this room has an Abraham and or Isaac story in their life. You're either have been through it and you can point back right now and you're like, yep, that's when, that's when that was for me. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now or maybe it's to come. 
See, God wants to bless you in a way that you can't see or even imagine. I don't mean like health and wealth in a gospel way. I mean in a way that he sees what you can't see. That whole time over that century, God could see Isaac. He knew him by name. Even when Abram and Sarai had lost all hope. Many times what stands between me and you and that blessing is how tight we hold on. Because we think we're in control. And we think if we, if we tightly hold on to what God has given, if we say, God, I don't, I don't want things to change. Change is bad, change is hard, change is new. And I hold on and I don't let go, then it'll all be okay. But we're missing out on the promise that God wants to do in our lives. My experience is that an all-in faith, going all in with Jesus, starts with letting go. Starts with not holding on so tight to the things that we don't control anyway. We release it all and we place it at his feet. We don't have to stand on the sidelines anymore. We don't have to stand with one foot in with Jesus and one foot out. God wants all of you, all your heart. We've got, a, we've got a cultural behavior on the wall in our lobby. So we have eight cultural behaviors at Kingsway that, that drive, it's a fancy word that I had a part in coming up with, but what it means is how we behave so that our mission becomes fully, fully realized. Our mission to become more like Jesus. And so if we behave in these eight ways, and one of them is all in, you see it there on the screen, we are fully committed to what God is doing here. That's the first part of that. Are you fully committed to what God is doing here? Are you fully committed to what God is doing in your life? Have you been running from him? For you, what's that thing that you, re you refuse to give to God? God, I give you this. I give you for my finances. I give you my home. I give you my future. I give you my job, but I'm not giving you my son or daughter. That was my story. I sat in the, yard that day, in the ER that day and I was mad at God. I was ugly. I don't remember it. That sweet lady that was there, she said, hey, you weren't that bad. <laughs> but what is it for you? What's keeping you from going all in to the, the, the baptistry? What's keeping you? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your, your belief that you actually do control what you don't control, you don't control it. Control is a fallacy. Everything we do to hold on makes us feel like we're secure in control. We're only secure in Jesus. That is the only security that we have. And the, and the sooner that we realize that, the sooner you experience the true freedom that comes from Jesus. Because when you're all in, you're like, you know what? Like those four people that got, that got baptized completely impromptu a few weeks ago, they were scared to death backstage. And they said, you know what? But I don't care anymore. I don't care what the people in that room think. I'm going all in. It's the people that serve on Sunday morning and our kids and students, those people are, are normal people like you and me. They don't have some super qualification to teach kids and students. Most of them, I see their eyes when they go in there, they're scared to death of a group of three-year-olds, right? <laughs> but they love on them and they share Jesus with them. Maybe for you, going all in looks like joining a group and being real with a community of people. And for you in this room, I'm sure there's somebody that scares you to death. 
And going all in in a group setting looks like, you know, you stay there, you stay committed to that group of people, even when things get hard and messy, because I guarantee you things are gonna get hard and messy. And all in looks like we're gonna go share what God, the great things that God is doing in this church and in our lives, and we're not gonna stop sharing until God brings us home. I was at, I was at coffee with one of our uh, newer families a few weeks ago, and I said, how'd you learn about Kingsway? And they said, well, I was out in the yard working, and my neighbor saw me and said, hey, where do you go to church? Do you wanna come to Kingsway? And six months later, he's sitting across the table from me. That is somebody that's all in. They're fully committed to what God is doing here, and they want the world to know about it. That's what all in looks like. And so for you, what's keeping you from that? Because we wanna walk alongside you. We wanna show you your next step. And for every single person, it's different, and that's okay. And we'll be patient, just like God was, to help walk you in that and through that. So as you wrestle today, and you sing the song we're about to sing, seek God. What are you holding so tight to? And he's just begging you to let go, let it at his feet, because he wants to bless you. Let's pray. God, this, this happened in the first service too, but as I'm, as I'm talking and I'm looking around the room and I'm catching eyes of families that are sitting in this room listening to this sermon, God, I, I believe that most of this was for me, but God, you use it for everyone in this room. And so, God, as you, as you make yourself, as your spirit makes yourself real to every single person, and I know there's things going on in their mind they might even be fighting with you right now. God, I, make, I pray you make it abundantly clear what it is that they're to give and release at your feet. God, you're a good father. And we trust you. God, help us to trust you. God, we wanna be all in. We don't wanna be on the fence. We don't wanna be wandering. We don't want one foot in the world and one foot in your kingdom. We wanna be all in in your kingdom and then go bring your kingdom to the world. They desperately need it. They're hopeless without you. God, we love you and we trust you. Meet us here through your words right now as we sing. God, make it clear to us how we are to respond to your word because you're your word never comes back void. It always demands a response. It's your name we pray. Amen.